0: So John Rogers, it's a name you may have heard before, he's one of the men used by God in the Protestant Reformation. Surely he wasn't the only one, uh, but he was certainly one of them. And John Rogers devoted his life to the Word of God. He was a, a gospel minister under the reign of King Edward V. There was a time where he, under King Edward V, he enjoyed a period of time where he was able to faithfully minister the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and do so without threat. That changed, however, when King Edward V died and Queen Mary took over. Queen Mary, otherwise known as Bloody Mary. Queen Mary did not afford the that same freedom that King Edward V did. Queen Mary was a devout Catholic. She absolutely despised Protestants. And under her rule, John Rogers was no longer able to minister in the way that he once did. Under her role, he was imprisoned. First under house arrest for several months before being thrown in a jail cell, and he was allowed absolutely no visitors. Throughout his time in prison, he was constantly pressed, constantly asked to recant his teachings, John Rogers would not do so. And he's quoted with having said, that which I have preached, I will seal with my own blood. In 1555, when Rogers was just 55 years old, Queen Mary sent him to the stake, had a fire lit under him. John Rogers lifted up his spirit to his heavenly father. Prior to his death, it's, it's said that on his way to the stake, there were so many along the way encouraging him, trying to strengthen his courage. His wife and his many children were included in that group of people. And it's and it's said that it was as if John Rogers was being led to a wedding. Rogers was the, the first of the Marian martyrs. And there were many more to follow after him. And this is what J.C. Ryle said about John Rogers. He said, John Rogers' death was the first in England to break the ice for the gospel prove that the grace of God was sufficient to sustain the believer even in fire. Rogers was a, was a great example to those at his time and a great example to us as well, a, a great witness, I would say. Now today we are going to be returning to the book of 1 Peter. We're looking at verses uh, chap- chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. and this section, of scripture, of Peter's epistle, provides us with witnesses as well. He provides us with more witnesses, not necessarily the same way, uh, same way that Rogers was a witness, but but witnesses to salvation. So, if you would open up your your Bibles, turn to the first, turn to the book of First Peter, and I'm actually going to be, begin reading at verse one. We'll read one through twelve to remind us of where we're at and to provide, provide context for this section of Scripture. So it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, You've been stressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice, with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So in this passage, I want you to see three witnesses to the precious wonders of salvation so that you'll be encouraged to stand firm as you face trials of various kinds. The first witness I want you to see in this text is the witness of the prophets. And point number one, I want you to be encouraged by the prophets' search into the revelation of salvation. Be encouraged by the prophets' search into the revelation of of salvation. So as we approach Peter's first epistle that he wrote to these believers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, we pick up in what I will call this introductory section which we began the last time I was filling the pulpit for Pastor Mark. Last time we went through verses 3 through 9. Again, uh, we're going to go through uh, 10 through 12 today. Um, this introductory section spans from 3 through 12. And Peter points his readers to the salvation. And the salvation, that's a, it's a gift from God and ought to be cherished. Peter, in terms of salvation, sets his readers up with great truths regarding it so they can lean on it and remain steadfast. And ultimately through this, pointing them to live in only a way that a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ can. Think of it this way. Peter's Peter's writing this and saying something along these lines. Because I write this to you about salvation, now do this. Now live in this way. Because we've addressed the greatness of salvation. Live in a way which honors God. So, beginning with verse 10, Peter's going to provide us with these three witnesses. I mentioned the prophets are the first one. And I want you to think about this text and and these witnesses as not so much from your point of view, but from their point of view. And by doing so, we're able to see just how, how they viewed salvation, just how great salvation was to them, and, and there in turn how great it should be for us as well, and how we should view it. And it should bolster our view of salvation. And it should bolster our, our confidence in it, and in, ultimately increase our hope in it. And so Peter identifies these prophets as those who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. These are Old Testament prophets that Peter's referring to, and we know that because he says that they prophesied the grace that would come, signifying that it has not yet come, has not yet arrived, but that time is coming where it will. And that second identifying factor, I I would say, is that they sought to understand what the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. As the Spirit of Christ uh, predicted the sufferings of Christ and these glories that are going to follow after those sufferings, those things that were revealed to the Old Testament prophets, but they were not revealed in their fullness, there was was more for the prophets to still understand. And I would go to the extent that when Peter says prophets here, I don't want you to think of uh, just Isaiah and and Zechariah, but I want you to think of the whole of the Old Testament. Think about Moses through Malachi, all the writers that God used to uh, speak of the coming of Christ because it did not just begin with uh, uh, Isaiah and Zechariah, but it began all the way back in Genesis. Genesis 3.15 is our our, our first Messianic prophecy. In Genesis 3.15, it was declared that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, that Satan will forever be defeated, and that defeat would come through this Messiah, this promised Messiah. And so they're they're the prophets who prophesied this grace that would come. And in terms of grace, it would... I, it would be easy to say that's just, just salvation, but were not the Old Testament believers also saved? Could they not also believe uh, or, or receive salvation in the same sense that we could? The answer to that question is, is yes. They they did receive salvation in the Old Testament because God has always been a gracious God. let did not just begin with the New Testament. God is The God of the Old Testament It's the same God of the New Testament. While the prophets and the Old Testament believers didn't necessarily know the name of the Messiah, they didn't look for Jesus, that, that name specifically, but they had faith in that God had promised this Messiah and that he would fulfill that promise. I point you to Genesis 15.6. It says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or reckoned to him for, as, as righteousness. And the Apostle Paul also uses Abraham in Romans 4 to to expound upon and explain that salvation has always been by faith. Salvation was not by works in the Old Testament. Salvation by faith did not start in the New Testament. It has always been that way. And Paul establishes that in Romans 4, that Abraham was not justified by works. He was not justified by the works of the law. He was not justified by receiving circumcision. But it's because Abraham didn't waver in his belief of God. Abraham had faith. And also in Romans 4, Paul does not just mention Abraham, but he also mentions David. David, when you hear that name, you probably think about his sin. Sin of Bathsheba specifically is most widely known for that. Sin of Bathsheba, following that up with having her husband killed. David still knew of the salvation by faith. This blessing of forgiveness that Abraham and David experienced, it's forgiveness for sinners. David sinned, but he experienced the very grace of God. Just as Abraham believed, Paul says, so too did David. David recognized that God would not leave him in his sin but rather he'd impute righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, that his sin would be covered and ultimately not held against him because of what the Messiah would accomplish in his life and his death and his resurrection. Turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55. I want to continue to prove this to you just so we understand that Again, that salvation has always been by faith. It's always been free. A free gift. Isaiah chapter 55. I'll read verses 1 through 7. Isaiah is this. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what's not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance, incline your ear, and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Behold, you will call the nation you do not know, and a nation who knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And he'll have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So Isaiah here, he's referring to salvation. Isaiah in chapter 53 was referring to a uh, 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 wrote of the suffering servant who was the Messiah. And in, that, in, in that, that that suffering servant, he, he said, would, would he prophesied that he would suffer and ultimately die for those who would come to him. That salvation, he says, is a free gift. You, you don't need any money. He says, but come buy it. You don't need to make a purchase in terms of money. It, it's free, and it's free for all those who will call upon him and ultimately uh, flee from their wickedness. So this salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Just as it is for us. Again, they didn't know to call upon Jesus, but they knew that the Christ would come, He would suffer, He would die, and He'd rise from the dead. Those are facts that were blessed in our position, where we stand in history, to understand those things. But regardless, they knew that a Messiah was coming. and They knew to trust in God for that promise. As I said, God did not start being kind and compassionate, and gracious in the New Testament. That's who God is. He's always been that way. And that's exemplified over and over again in his dealings with, with Israel. Uh, if you think to Jonah, what happened with the uh, with Nineveh, God was gracious to them after they repented. Again, that's, that's just who God is. God is a gracious God. He does not change. So don't think about this God as from the Old Testament to the New Testament as, as changing or being different. It's the same God. Isaiah 43.10 Before me there was no God formed and there will be none after me. The Old Testament God and the New Testament God is the same God. And it's the same God who's going to rule and reign forevermore. So, Peter says these prophets, prophets are the grace that would come So it's it's not necessarily referring to salvation because Old Testament believers could also be saved by faith, and they were saved by faith. But what he's referring to is this future aspect of salvation. So grace, while available to believers in the Old Testament, would see its ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ when he would come and die. So Peter says of these prophets, they make careful searches and inquiries into this grace. So if you read our text, made searches, made inquiries. It looks like these these, these searches and these inquiries are are nouns, but in the Greek they're actually verbs. Peter's trying to bring out this, this intense search that the prophets went through to understand this grace. The prophets did not simply ponder didn't simply ponder the sufferings of Christ, the glories of Christ. But they went on a search for this. They wanted to know more. They sought with absolutely all of their mental ability to grasp this. And how did they do that? What did they search? They sought other writings, previous writings. So they can get a better detail. Daniel did this. When he received visions, he asked for explanations. You can see that in Daniel 7, 15, and 16. You can also see it in Daniel 8, 15 and 16. And I want you to hear what Daniel, Daniel says in, in Daniel 9, verses 1 through 3. He says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Herasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the, number, in the books the numbers of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, nearly 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord, to the Lord God, to seek Him by prayer, and pleading, and fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So Peter referred, I mean, sorry, not Peter, Daniel. Daniel refers here to the writings of Jeremiah. So he was searching previous prophecies. That's what the prophets did. They searched previous writings and previous prophecies. You might might think of a time where where you're wrestling with a text of Scripture. It's very difficult for you to understand. Maybe even not necessarily a text of Scripture, but a difficult doctrine or difficult theological concept. What did you do when, when you were wrestling with that? You went to previous Scriptures, other Scriptures. You searched the Word of God for it. And this is what the prophets did. The prophets were men of the Word. And they, had, they had this intense interest in knowing more about what the Spirit of God was revealing to them. Now we'd recognize that all Scripture is inspired by the Spirit. Now as the Spirit revealed these things to them, they wrote them down. And, and it's provoked, provoked so many questions in their mind that they, ne- they needed to go on this hunt. They, they, they wanted to figure out who, who is this person? Who, who, when, when will he come? Who would the Christ be? What period of history would he arrive here? And his questions for the prophets, they were not fully answered for them. But they knew this, that it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. They were serving you. This means that they would not experience the object of their search. But the prophecies would reveal to those who came after them who this Messiah was. Jesus is the Messiah, and we know this because of what the prophets prophesied. We can have absolutely no doubt in our minds that Jesus is the Messiah. Because it was prophesied in Isaiah 7 that he'd be born of the virgin. He'd be born of a virgin. That he'd be known for righteousness, Psalm 45 he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9. That he'd be betrayed by a friend, Psalm 55. He'd be sold for pieces of silver, Zechariah 11. He'd be mocked and assaulted, Psalm 22. Psalm 22 also tells us that his hands and feet would be pierced. Soldiers would cast lots for his clothing. Psalm 16 and 49 tells us that he'd resurrect from the grave. And that list, it goes on and on and on. There's many more than just what I've listed there. But they have served us in revealing the Messiah to us. The prophets knew that, the, that the Christ would suffer, and that He'd experience these glories thereafter, as was revealed to them by the Spirit of Christ. I've mentioned some of those things, but the sufferings of Christ was, it was revealed in Psalm 22, as I mentioned, Isaiah 52 and uh, 53 the glories of Christ that follow his sufferings, that that would include his resurrection. After his death, he resurrects from from his grave. He ascends to heaven. And one day, he is coming back. And he's going to set up his, his earthly kingdom. And he's coming back as a conquering king. Those things can be seen in Isaiah 9, Daniel 2, Zechariah 2. So those prophecies not fully revealed to the prophets they were not completely understood in the terms of that person and time you could say the who and the when they did not fully understand that and, and this is this is evidence even all the way up to the, the point of christ's death and the point of his resurrection and we see that even with uh our peter who wrote our epistle when, when Jesus told the disciples that he was going to Jerusalem and he was going to die, that he'd be raised on the third day, guess who rebuked him? Peter did. Peter rebuked Jesus and told him, that's not going to happen to you, Lord. And Peter got rebuked right back. Jesus told him that you're dwelling on the interest of man, not on God. The disciples also on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. You might be familiar with that text. They were sad because Jesus was put to death. They thought this was their Messiah. They thought that He came to redeem Israel. Jesus says to them, O foolish men and slow heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things? And to enter into his glory. And then in verse 27, Jesus continues on, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. He explained to them these things concerning himself in the scriptures. So these prophets prophesied the grace that would come to you. They sought to know this person in time. They made careful searches and inquiries regarding it but it was never fully revealed to them. These words can be summarized by Jesus in Matthew thirteen sixteen and 17. But blessed are your eyes because they see, your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, do not see it, to hear what you hear and do not hear it. Brothers and sisters, do, do we see this position that we're in in history, this privileged position, that we've come after Christ, that we know these things, we know what the prophets were seeking, that we stand on this side of the cross, so we have the completed canon, we have all the, the fullness of God's revelation. Hebrews 11, which you probably recognize as the, the Hall of Faith chapter, tells us about those who have gone before us, and it says that they triumphed in faith. The writer of Hebrews says that after having gained their approval through their faith, they did not receive what was promised because God provided something better for us. God provided something better for us. These prophets, they searched and they searched and they searched and they searched and they searched searched the scriptures and they searched prophecies regarding salvation, regarding Christ, regarding that grace that would come, again, the who and the when. They didn't simply sit back and say, no, God saved me. I'm good. That's all I need. I have faith. I'm going to heaven. No big deal. They weren't satisfied with the bare minimum. They wanted to know more about this Christ. They wanted to know more about the suffering that he was going to experience. They wanted to know more about who he was. Do you want to know your Christ? Do you want to know more about your salvation? They were interested in this more than anything else. This was their life. They gave their life to this. Nothing piqued their interest more than this. Does that describe you in any way? How is it that you live each day In light of what God has done for you, in light of the grace that has come to you. Do you search it? Do you search it out? Do you long to understand it more? Are you trying to understand the salvation? Long to do you, do you long to pursue the knowledge of Christ? Pursue the knowledge of what 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 our God has done for you in salvation? If you're in Christ. I'm not naive. I understand this world provides us with many distractions. Many distractions. brothers and sisters, we can't lose sight of this. We can't forget our salvation because of, of social media or video games. Cling to this salvation. Cling to the work of Christ and what He's done for you. Don't be the person satisfied with just the bare minimum. With just being saved and having faith. Take it to a greater extent than that. Your God is worthy of more than that. Jesus laid down His life for you. And the prophets would have loved to see the fulfillment of it. So as Peter encouraged us, his readers, through the prophets, their, their zealous search for the knowledge of the person of Christ and the timing of his coming, let us look also to the New Testament ministers of the gospel. Point number two is to be encouraged by the evangelist's proclamation of salvation. Be encouraged by the evangelist's proclamation of salvation so after peter addresses the the prophets and, and their the the lord's use of them in redemptive history he moves on to those who preach the gospel to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven peter does not specifically name anyone here just as he didn't name anyone specific with the prophets what what Peter wants to highlight to you is the fact that they preach this gospel to you, and how do they preach that gospel? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That Holy Spirit was the same Holy Spirit who 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 uh, uh, revealed the sufferings of the of Christ and the glories to follow. That He revealed that to the prophets. It's the same Holy Spirit that propelled them to conduct their search. It's that Holy Spirit that's also at work has been at work in the New Testament preachers and evangelists of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's these evangelists who have taken the gospel to the ends of the earth. Evangelists have preached the fullness of what the prophets were longing to understand. This is what the prophets were searching into. And the evangelists, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have announced this. So what did the prophets aim to understand? They were aiming to understand the the who and the when of Christ, the person, and the time of His coming. These evangelists preached these things. They preached that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus has come, Jesus has died, and He has risen from the grave. Their message, their gospel is the fulfillment of what the prophets were searching out. Now, Peter doesn't mention himself here, and, and so it's not likely that he's amongst those who preach the gospel to these specific people that he's writing to. But regardless, someone or some group of men took the gospel to them. Either way, what we know is that Peter did preach the gospel. And Peter did bring the gospel uh to, to many. In Acts two, you know as this Pentecost sermon. In Acts two, twenty two, Peter started preaching and says this, this as recorded in, in uh, the book of Acts. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan of God predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised them up, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in, in its power. And then you can jump to verse 38. Peter says, Repent! Each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And of course, Peter's not there teaching baptismal regeneration. He's not teaching that you're saved by by baptism but it's, it's better translated because of the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism follows regeneration. Baptism follows salvation. And after Peter's sermon here, what does the text say? It says that 3,000 souls were added to them. That means that God saved 3,000 people through Peter's sermon. And Of course, Peter was not the only gospel preacher. We have the Apostle Paul also as an example of a faithful gospel preacher. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Paul says, Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, that he was raised on the third day according to his scripture, according to the scriptures. Now Paul also says about his preaching that, that Christ sent him to preach number one, but it was not in cleverness of speech. It was not in cleverness of speech. Second Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, Paul says this, when I came to you brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Claiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why, Paul? Why did you come preaching Christ and Him crucified? Because of Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This is the salvation message, the fulfillment of what the prophets long to understand. In Romans 10, Paul also Writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaks of faith that comes by the hearing, by hearing the word of Christ and and that they need a preacher to be able to hear. If they don't hear, they can't be saved. People need to be told of their sins against this great, mighty, high, and holy God. The only hope for man is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That in mind, we need to speak to those here who are outside of Christ. Today I call you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Stop believing all the things you've made up in your mind as to why you can't believe. Stop believing all the things your family has has told you for the reasons they don't believe. be fooled by what this world has told you. and Don't be fooled by these world, by worldly philosophies. God does not allow people into heaven. God does not save people because they've been good. You're not good. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all need to repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You look outside, all the snow, you, know, you can't see the stars right now, but our stars and, and our mountains and, the, and the, the beauties of creation. That has a creator. The creator is the God of the Bible. And it's that God who sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die the death that you ultimately deserve. And he calls you to repent of your sin, to turn from your wickedness and trust in Him. And I'm calling you to that today. If you are outside of Christ, repent and trust in Him. Make today the day of your salvation. Now, this gospel. This gospel is the fulfillment of the prophet's diligent search. It is the the evangelists that gave their life to it. They devoted themselves to this. They they sacrificed so many comforts and, and many of them gave up their lives literally for it. So many of them were killed for their spread of the gospel. And all of this they did under the power of the Holy Spirit to descend from heaven to have this message declared. Believer, I again call you to to make a life commitment, to devote your life to this, to the salvation the Lord has granted us. And as the apostles gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ in in the gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they, they made it their most important possession the most important message of their entire life Would, will you do that will you do the same do you do you are you able to see and recognize this this, this reality this amazing reality of what the Lord has done to the apostles and prophets We need to have that type of mentality. The prophets prophesied this grace that would come to you. They sought to know the person, the time, the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating what the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ was indicating to them the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And the Holy Spirit announced these things, the fulfillment of these things through the evangelists. So we've seen those two witnesses, the prophets and, and, uh, and the evangelists. But Peter mentions another witness. He says at the end of verse twelve, things into which angels long to look. So the angels are witness number three, and I want you to be encouraged by the angels' desire to understand the mystery of salvation be encouraged by the angel's desire to understand the mystery of salvation. So first, Peter says, they long to look into these things, things into which angels long to look. What are those things? Those things are the the things regarding salvation that we've been speaking about. It's, It's the work of Christ. It's the glories of Christ, the sufferings and the glories to follow. God created this world to glorify Himself, to magnify Himself, and that's what He's doing through the salvation of men. And salvation—it doesn't point to you; it points to God. It points to God and His sovereignty and His mercy. So it's it's God who's who's granting salvation, and it's and these angels. It says they they long to look into these things. The angels they they want to they want to get a clear look at this they want to gain a clear glimpse into what God God is doing here and and, and don't miss the the present tense of of the, the longing they long to look that wasn't something they just did one time but they're actively seeking this they're actively longing to look into this they're actively pursuing a knowledge of of, of God's grace towards men. As the prophets sought to understand these things that were being revealed to them, the angels also longed to understand these things about salvation. It's not being revealed to them. Now that word look there, things that do with angels long to look, that, that, that portrays for these angels a, a, a great interest. They have an intense interest about these things. It literally means to to, to stoop sideways. That you want you want to gain a you want to change your bodily position to gain a clear look, to gain a clear look at something. You might twist and turn to to put yourself. You might put yourself through twisting and turning, uh, to to gain a clear picture, a better view. That same word for for look is is used to Peter in Luke 24 when he he ran to the empty tomb of Jesus and he looked in to marvel at the resurrection. It's also used of John and Mary for the same reason. They're they're, they're stooping. They're looking into the tomb of Jesus Christ that's that's now empty because of his resurrection. The the point that Peter makes here is that these angels, they want to get a clarified sense of salvation. They want to get a a clarified picture. They want to get a closer look. Just to be clear here, we're talking about holy angels. Fallen angels, they're not interested in seeing more. They believe and tremble at God, but they're not concerned in in, in, in gaining salvation for themselves or or, or being reconciled to God. They hate Him. The fallen angels hate God. And we see uh, their experiences with Christ in the Gospels. Every time they come across Him, they cry out, Son of the Most High God, don't torment us before our time fallen angels, they're, they're only consumed with doing evil, and they know that their time is coming, that one day they will be destroyed. Their doom is absolutely sure, and they're okay with it. You don't see them arguing with Christ about it. They know it's coming. These angels, they, they, they know God, and they know His power. And the holy angels, on the other hand, also know God's power, but they're astonished by it. They don't have the reaction of the, the fallen angels. They're amazed. Which is interesting, because they're involved in this in various ways, right? They were—they announced the birth of Christ. They ministered to Jesus in his temptation. The Bible calls them God's ministering angels. Jesus said that he could call down a legion of angels at any time to help him if he needs so. And these angels have access to heaven. They have access to God. What would make them interested in salvation? Angels don't get to experience it. They don't get to experience it. We as as humans have a unique position, uh, and, a, and a wonderful position, to experience God's mercy in the way that no other created being has. We can experience it in the way that no other being, created being can. Even angels. And what's amazing is if you think about one-third of the angels fell with Satan. They weren't offered mercy. They weren't offered salvation. They sinned, and it was done. Once and done. That's the only chance they got. They they, They were condemned immediately for their rebellion. But God, so rich in mercy... Offered salvation to us. And again, I continue to press this point home, but those of you here who know Christ, is, is this something that you marvel at? Does this amaze you? Something in terms of salvation we often ask ourselves is for the salvation and election, why God choose me? Why me? What we can understand from the fact that the angels don't don't experience salvation, we can take that to another to another question and ask not only why me, but why man? Why man in the first place? The reality is that's that's the plan of God, and and this is a plan. This is these are things into which angels long to get a better look at. <clears throat> they're without sin, so they don't need salvation. We have sinned, we have sinned against God, and need to be saved, and need to repent and trust in Him. And it's amazing, because God has determined, according to, to Ephesians 3.10, that the church is a display to the angels of the glory of God. That they, can, they can see His great mercy through the church. Bible also tells us that that angels they they re- uh, sorry they rejoice over one sinner who repents. But in regards to salvation, the church is as close as they can get. The church is on display for them to see God's grace and mercy, and they look to the church and glory in the church as the Lord displays it to them. But they will never experience it like we do. Brothers and sisters, do you, do you, are you amazed by your salvation? Do, do you ever stand and marvel at it? I, I call you today to do so and, and to, to, to meditate on it, to meditate on it every single day of your life. Ask yourself some of these questions. Are you interested or are you as interested As our witnesses, are you as interested as the prophets that they went on this lifelong search? Are you as interested as the, as the evangelists who proclaimed the gospel, the fulfillment of the prophets search? Are you as interested as the angels? as you go throughout your days. Remind yourself of these perspectives. As I I said at the beginning, I don't want you to think about these from your perspective, but from their perspective. This is how they viewed salvation. This was their reaction to salvation. Now think about your own perspective. How do you view it? How amazed are you by it? How much do you reflect on it? How much do you search it and, and long to understand it to, to a greater to a greater depth? So remind yourself of these perspectives. Be encouraged by what God has done in salvation. Trials are going to come in your life; they will absolutely come. Sometimes they will be poured on you like a tsunami and you'll feel weak and helpless, but be encouraged by the Lord's use of the prophets, be encouraged by their search of the things that you now know, be encouraged that the Lord used evangelists of various kinds to announce these things to you. brothers and sisters, be encouraged by the fact that you've been granted salvation. Something that the, the angels will never experience, but they long to get a glimpse of it. They long to get a look of it. And so think about these things as you go throughout your days. Brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm in this. May your salvation bring you hope and be the thing that you lean on. Stand firm that the Lord has made you of His own. It is a great salvation, isn't it? Let's pray. Our God and our Father, help us, O Lord, to marvel at salvation that you've granted us. Help us to think on the perspectives that Peter has shown us, the perspectives of the prophets, of the New Testament evangelists, and the angels. Help us, Lord. Give us a desire to to seek you, to know you more to a greater degree. Help us to desire to know salvation in its fullest depth. Help us devote our lives to it. May we be committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. May you empower us and help us. pray that we take this text to heart. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church.